Dear congregation, the Lord Jesus commands us to remember the Lord's death till He comes, and specifically through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's here that we, we, we remember His death. We remember how He died, how He suffered on this earth, how He bore the ridicule, the mocking, how the, the suffering, the pain on the cross, and everything that He he bore while he was on this earth. But the question is also, how did he do that? How did he bear that all? Because when it comes to suffering and to pain in this world, we can be so unwilling to face it. We'll, we'll do anything to avoid it and to get ourselves out of it. When the Lord Jesus started telling his disciples that he had to suffer and to die, Peter came and rebuked him and said, this will not happen to you. He didn't want to see this even in his Lord and Master. But with the Lord, it is very much different. Because we see that he went into this willingly for his people. And that's what we see a glimpse of here in these verses as Paul writes to us in Philippians 2. How the mind and heart of Christ was fixed on the purpose for which he came to do it willingly voluntarily for the sake of his people. And so our theme this morning is the mind of Christ for you. The mind of Christ for you. And we see in the first place how Christ emptied himself. And we'll focus then on the verses 6 through 8 specifically. How Christ emptied himself. Verse 6 then says, Christ who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because He was God. He was the co-eternal one with God. He, he, here the form of God refers to the essence. Christ is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the one who is without fault. He's the one who's, who's blameless and harmless, sinless in conduct and pure in his, in his character. The, the one without fault. When he was on this earth, it says he's the express image of his Father. He's also the, the creator of this world. The Bible says nothing was created without him. He created the stars, He created this earth and every creature in it. But verse 7 goes on to say, He made Himself of no reputation. It means he, that word means He emptied Himself. Christ did not consider His existence as something to hold on to there. He emptied Himself. He, he let it go for the sake of sinners. He emptied Himself of His, of his heavenly privileges, of His reputation, and he, he gave this all up voluntarily. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. He emptied Himself. You might say of what? Well, not of His essence, because He remained the eternal and the unchanging God. But... But it speaks here of his existence, you could say, in, in a matter, manner equal to God. You know how we do not want to give up our positions or our status. We, loss hurts. We don't want to be demoted. We don't want to lose our reputation or our wealth or our health or anything like it. 
But here the Lord Jesus voluntarily steps down from heaven for us. If you think of what the Lord did with the flood of Noah, there is wickedness on the face of the earth, and God said, I will destroy the earth, and I'll begin over again with, with the family of Noah. And he destroyed the wicked people of the world. But here, Christ can do the very same thing, and yet instead he comes down. And he, he leaves heaven to come down into this world, makes himself of no reputation. Christ emptied himself in order to take our human form and our likeness, which you see in the second place. Christ took our place. Verse 7 says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So here again we've seen that same word, the form. He took on him the essence of human nature. He became a real human being. The God who was entirely separate from creation, as we heard last week, who is entirely separate from sin, was born into this world, became part of this creation in Christ, which has fallen in sin. And he took the lowest form of it. He became the bondservant, a slave, because we are enslaved to sin. Christ, the highest king of heaven, took the lowest place on earth. He came born as helpless child from his mother and took the form of a servant. Now, servants have no rights, but they're owned by another. And he came to serve. He came to serve his father in perfect obedience and willingness. He came to serve sinners. Mark 10 says, for even as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came and served his enemies. Christ, as the master, came as a servant to serve sinners who would not serve him. The Creator subjected himself to his creation, and he took our place to serve without fault. He came not looking for reputation or promotion, but he came only to do what was required of us to do, to serve God as our Creator, as our God, as our Lord. And He did so doing all things without complaining and without arguing. Taking the form, it says in verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He came as a man, as John says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us as in a tent. He tabernacled among us. He, he dwelt among us, clothed in human nature. We, we beheld His glory. Christ, that sinless one, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He emptied Himself of holding that eternal existence and became a finite being in this world who, who, whose life is like the grass that flourishes one day and it fades away and dies the next. He took on our human nature, which is subject to death because of our sin, and He submitted Himself to death. So Christ took our place so that He could take the curse and the penalty of death for our sin, which we see in the third place. 
Christ humbled himself. Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even a death of the cross. In Galatians 3, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. So this humiliation means that Christ took, on, took the place of guilty sinners. He humbled himself by taking the place under that curse, under the penalty of death, under the, taking that guilt upon himself. And we can see how he humbled himself before the law. Christ, who was equal with God, the Son of God, perfectly righteous and without fault, he, he, he did not break the law, and the law had nothing against him. But he was the perfection of the law. But he emptied himself. He, he humbled himself of the position of coming under that law. Born as a man. Born under the law. Born, born under the broken law. Now no longer in a favorable position to the law. But now subject to that same curse of death. That penalty of the broken law that hangs over the whole human race. And he went there so that he could begin to carry the burden of guilt, so that he could carry it away, as John 1 says. That he could carry away the sins of his people. And Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ was charged as guilty with your sin upon him. He humbled himself before the law. He humbled himself before his father. When Christ was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary as a human being, he started at separation from his father. His Father's eyes are more holy than to behold iniquity. And His holy wrath and justice was upon His Son because His Son was made to be sin. And His separation made Him cry out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And now why would Christ leave the glories of heaven in the presence of His Father because his desire was to do it voluntarily, to take the place of sinners. Sinners who are born eternally separated from the Father. He came to take their place separated from the Father. He was humbled by giving up his power and his authority. The Son of God who has the power to create all things. The Son of God who could stand and command the seas to be calm and the blind to see and the dead to rise. He laid down his power and his authority. And as a servant, he followed the will of his Father. He did not use his power to resist those coming against him. He did not use his power to slay his enemies, but he submitted to the power of evil, to the power of darkness, 
to the grave and to death. He let himself be bound to be falsely accused, to be condemned, to be nailed to the cross by human traitors who think they had the power to crucify the Lord of glory. And they said, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And what power he had to be able to do that. But he never. Why would Christ lay aside his power to be overpowered by sinners? To voluntarily take your place. Not to do his own will, but it says he learned obedience by what he suffered. He was humbled by giving up all his riches. He laid down his heavenly riches, including his own life. On this earth, he didn't have a place to be born. He, he was born in a manger. He had no house of his own. He, he rode on a borrowed donkey. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And in this world, he had no debt, but he carried, he took upon himself the guilt and the sins of his people. Willingly. 2 Corinthians 8, for your sake, he became poor. Though being rich, in order that, or so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He humbled himself by giving up his glory in heaven. It says the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. The seraphims cover their face in the presence of this holy God. And he left that to come into this earth and to be ridiculed, to be spit upon, to be mocked, to be falsely accused, to be scorned, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Christ humbled himself under the curse of the law so that he could become obedient for us. That's our fourth thought. Christ became obedient for us. Verse 8, second half says, Christ became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's especially important for us to Remember not only his death, but in what manner Christ became obedient, how he willingly became, willingly obeyed what his attitude was toward this for us. Because obedience is doing something completely, is doing it immediately, and is doing it with a willing heart. Remember that too, children. Perfect obedience is doing it immediately and completely and with a willing heart. Christ did not go to the cross with an unwilling heart. He did not go to the cross resenting what was happening, but he went willingly. Because if he never went willingly, he would not be doing it obediently. And we can look at the following verses in 12 through 16 and see how it applies to Christ. Because he came into this world demonstrating that he was blameless and harmless, the Son of God and without fault. That he came to work out this salvation, not for himself, but for us, for sinners, as a substitute for sinners. He did everything without complaining and without arguing, so that we might become blameless and harmless, the children of God, without fault. 
He came as that light shining in the darkness, even when the darkness could not comprehend it. When the world sought to put out that light, He came and faced that full fury of, of, of sin and of wickedness in this world with all of Satan's forces against Him, tempting Him, blaspheming Him, falsely accusing Him, betraying Him, mocking Him, scourging Him, condemning Him, and crucifying Him. But without complaining means He faced it all with a willing heart. Psalm 40 says, I delight to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Christ did it willingly. That means He did it with a perfect love. He did, his desire was to empty Himself for His people and to stand in the place of guilty sinners. He did not complain when His enemies falsely accused Him. What love that must have been to endure that mockery for us as He emptied Himself for His people how he kept silent, how he withheld his power when they came against him, when they were accusing him and mocking him, how he did not complain when, but continued on and persevered even when he fell to the earth under the, the weight of the, of the cross and of the exhaustion of the beatings because he loved them to the end and because he would lay down his life for them on the cross, willingly. He obediently submitted to His Father's will. And 1 Peter 2, verse 22 says, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He did it with perfect patience. Because what patience must Christ have showed here when he was rejected? The disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven when the Samaritans rejected him. Peter began swinging the sword when, when the attackers came against Christ. But Jesus told him, I come not to destroy, but to save. What patience and what self-control Christ showed when Satan tempted him. When Satan offered him all the riches and all the power of this world, right after Christ had left all the power and glories of heaven, he had the power to resist but he obeyed his Father and submitted to those trials. Christ patiently obeyed. And when he hung on the cross and he said, Come down, if you're the Son of God, he never. But he patiently endured the cross, it says, <clears throat> for the glories that were ahead, because he knew that this was the only way to save his people. He was taking the place of sinners under the wrath of God against their sin. He became obedient to death without disputing, without arguing. That means with his understanding, not only willingly, but understandingly. He did not argue about the way, 
that needed to, be, to, needed to go to save his people. This was determined from eternity. And how it must have hurt to undergo this pain and this poverty. And yet he didn't try to justify himself. He did not argue with his father about what needed to happen. How it must have hurt when he saw the wrath of his own father coming against him. When there in the Garden of Gethsemane he even prayed, if, be, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He did not argue because he understood what he said. I come to lay down my life for my sheep. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one from his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Without disputing. Because this was the only way to save sinners. And to reconcile them to his father. He became obedient, doing it without fault. Three times the earthly judges, between Pilate and Herod, they said, we find no fault in this man. His own father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was the faultless one, the innocent one, without sin. But he willingly emptied himself and took upon him the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself, taking our guilt so that he could carry it all away on the cross. There he offered himself as that perfect sacrifice without blemish, without spot, for sin to God. Why? So that you can become the children of God. And it is here at this table that we are called to remember him. To remember how he willingly came. Down from heaven to lay down his life for his people. How his body was broken and his blood was shed. Willingly for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Christ said. Amen.